Inside the Post-Dispatch. Hello and welcome back to Inside the Post-Dispatch. I'm Beth O'Malley. I'm Liz Miller. And today we welcome business reporter Steph Kukuljan, who covers real estate and development beat and also writes a weekly email newsletter called Brick City. Tell us a little bit more about how that newsletter came about. Yeah, um, so it's interesting because newsletters are now back in fashion. I don't know if you guys remember, like they were yes. popular <laughs> like several years ago. We've kind of gone through different iterations in the media to like try and get readership. So these are now popular again, and so our executive editor, Alan Ashkar, was like, we should try this for development. People are super interested in real estate and kind of like what's going on with our historic buildings and all that. So this was kind of a good way to do a roundup in terms of, you know, if you don't unfortunately read our website every day, but here's like a way to kind of stay up to date and also kind of just little tidbit. So it was just a way to reach readers and then also kind of expand more on like the super interesting beat that is development so and you provide a little bit of insight into some of the stories that you do but you also did like a Q&A with a developer yeah so uh occasionally I'm able to do kind of like little Q&As that maybe aren't enough for like a full-blown story but are still interesting enough for development watchers who kind of want to hear from people behind the scenes and so the developer q and I did was the guy who did the Butler Brothers redevelopment, which is the massive building right next to the soccer stadium. Mm -hmm. So we got a tour of the apartments, which are super cool and look nothing like the apartments I used to live in. (laughs) And so kind of talked to him a little bit about that, some little insight and hoping to do more with other people in the industry and just um, kind of giving readers that little insight that maybe they wouldn't get every day. And what do you enjoy most about kind of curating, writing that every week and sharing it? I do. I am really interested in what I cover. Um, I love the kind of feature aspect in terms of like historic building and the stories behind those buildings. And so sometimes this newsletter lets me expand more on those ideas that I wouldn't be able to in a news story. Um, So I really like that. And just kind of it also keeps me fresh and up to date in terms of what I'm covering is like, oh yeah, I am covering this or, well, this reminds me I'm this coming up next week. And so it's also kind of a good personal reminder for me too, with like everything that I'm writing. Cause this, a lot of times I'll write a story and then I forget about it immediately after yeah. I file it <laughs> on to the next thing. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I did do this. So we hear that from reporters so often. I mean, there's so much on your plate uh, that I'm sure weekly having a chance to take a breath and kind of take a look at where things have been, especially stories that you're probably coming back to with some regularity, um, you know, the ones that you're following at least, whether it be like new developments or community response to announced developments, uh, is probably kind of a nice reset for the week. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's and it's also kind of good to sometimes I'll, I'll let a story, I'll file a story, and then it kind of just simmers the back of my brain. And then when I do Brick City, I'm like, oh, this point that I wasn't able to get in or I wasn't able to expand upon because it's not exactly didn't exactly fit in the story for whatever reason so sometimes it's kind of good to revisit things it's almost like a refresh that isn't just like I've now written 30 inches on something and now I'm continuing to write it on it's like a little break too that makes sense yeah that's interesting that it allows you to kind of step back and maybe take a bigger picture view at things that you're covering on a regular basis and share that with readers so the newsletter also lets me let stories simmer and then also if there are stories that are continuously updating or changing i can also use the newsletter to 
refresh or kind of help things focus. So if I wrote one story one day and the next story a different story, when I go back to the newsletter, I'm able to uh, kind of almost like summarize or help me kind of process the story and where it's going or where it could go and the different angles too. So it's also helpful reporting side in terms of getting the better story too. Sometimes it lets me refocus that way. And you also highlight other reporters' work. Yes, yes. Uh, So St. Louis is a very newsy town and I'm supposed to cover development for the entire region and we've got 14 or 15 counties. It's just not possible and we don't unfortunately cover every county, but there's just so much news happening and so it's really great when I have colleagues that cover stuff that touches on my beat whether that's Kelsey Landis with the county council and their different their different properties, or Ethan Colbert, who I've been featuring a lot. He's our new St. Charles County reporter. There's Obviously, St. Charles County is a growing area, and he uh, is taking up the mantle to cover that for us, and so projects in St. Charles County he's been able to do as well. So um, it's also great that we're able to cover more of, more of the built environment that impacts everyday people that I'm not able to get to. So, How can people sign up for the newsletter? And I, I think I forgot to say, but when does it come out? Uh, the newsletter comes out every Wednesday around 1 o'clock. Um, you can sign up online. You can also send me an email and I can help you guys sign up as well. So, Yeah, and I'm just curious, have you heard from readers, received any feedback, or do you receive tips that are maybe newsletter specific? I don't know if there are development wonks. I <laughs> there are have wonks. not been able to get enough tips yet, so I always encourage people to send me tips. I promise your name won't be published when you reach out to me. But I have gotten feedback in terms of what they'd like to see or kind of the types of stories they want to see. Last week, I had my colleague Annika Merrilies write about her experience covering the uh, recognition of the black neighborhood in Brentwood. Mm-hmm. Or excuse me, it was Richmond Heights. Um, I think it was Richmond Heights. Had mentioned to me that she had gotten a lot of good feedback from former residents who shared photos of their family members there. And I thought that was great. So I included that portion in the newsletter and had a reader reach out to me about just how they kind of liked that little mention. So I always like hearing from readers. You don't have to send a news tip. Obviously, I'd appreciate it, but also just kind of comments, questions, that sort of thing. I'm interested to know what readers want to know, too. So, And yes. we'll, we'll link to both the um, newsletter sign-up and your email in the description of the podcast. I, I was really fascinated with your recent coverage of Skate Laborious. It's and I'll have you, I guess, describe it. What is Skate Laborious and why were you covering it recently? Uh, so Skate Laborious uh, took over this former historic church that was built in the 19th century for German immigrants when St. Louis had a lot of um, immigrants coming through. Um, over time, it's kind of what we're seeing now with with uh, uh, parishioners of just kind of losing a number. and then And then so you have these really ornate huge buildings in these neighborhoods and you're just like what do you do with them and and so skate laborious had uh taken over uh the building and it's the the sanctuary itself is it looks like a classic old catholic church it had a when i saw it they had a vert ramp which is essentially like a u or v shape kind of i think what we've all seen skaters do in the middle of the sanctuary which was just super cool and they had graffiti and murals and um, just kind of a really neat place, and they have said that former nuns have come by who used to be at St. Laborious and said that they've loved what they've done with the place, and so they have a, they've got that kind of connection with, with the former people that took care of it, and then also with the new generation, um, so it's a very ornate 
really, really um, astounding building. Um, so Skate Laborious is a skate park slash uh, like skill building group slash like youth outreach. Um, they had this really big mission of one, restoring the historic church, but also providing a refuge for skaters and for kids and for anyone else that kind of didn't have a place to go. Um, and they were going to offer art classes, other skill building. I think music reduction was part of their thing. So it was a really cool concept. And the guys behind it were super passionate. And just you could just tell that they're very genuine and authentic. Um, so they were trying to fix up this old North City church that they had gotten. They had had some underground parties and said, you know, we have to go legit now. So they're raising money to bring the building up to code. Um, and it was during this process that they had an overnight fire that destroyed the church um they're right now in the process of determining how much of the church they can save they said that they want to stay in the neighborhood regardless so it's just a matter of like them pivoting and kind of figuring out the next step but they're they're still dedicated to the neighborhood and to the cause and i wrote about them initially a couple years ago um it was about a story about what happens to former churches when they're not used for worship and these guys were the main focus of it just because it's such a cool concept and they are internationally known. Um, they had, I know when I initially covered the fire, they had people giving donations from Ireland mm -hmm. and other parts of the country. Um, I've heard that, you know, the skate community, when they come to the United States or they come to St. Louis, they always want to check out Skate Laborious so they have good connections kind of across the globe. So it's just a cool concept of a skate park inside of a church, something you wouldn't necessarily expect or even see and so um, it was just a very cool concept with a great cause behind it as well and it was one of my favorite stories that I did also because the interview was fun as well um, so that's always a huge plus whenever you kind of connect with people that you talk with um, so yeah I was I was uh, devastated for them when I came in that day and heard about the fire and then um, but was really encouraged that they're staying at it so I just kind of hope that they're able to um, get their feet back under them again and, and keep going. So, But yeah. they have a really strong community. I can't imagine that they wouldn't be able to. Uh, when you spoke with them after the fire, you, you mentioned that they were looking into what could be salvaged or if they might move to a different space in the community uh, to continue the work that they're doing. Did you get more of a sense or was it just too soon to know? And so when the fire happened, the fire essentially spread. How it was described to me was that it spread somewhere near the rectory's kitchen and then spread across the roof and so the roof just was demolished and kind of fell through um, and so there's aerial photos that i believe david carson took from the drone mm -hmm. um, that show essentially just kind of the four walls of the sanctuary still standing and uh, i think other parts of the complex um, so there's a photo that skate laborious posted on their social of like a before and after before of of Dave, who's one of the leaders of the group, kind of standing in the middle with his pose, and then an after of him standing essentially in the same spot, but now there's no roof, and there's sunlight, and there's debris that they have to get through. Mm -hmm. um, so when I talked to them last, they were thinking they had to get professional help to um, remove the last of the debris. They had a lot of volunteers come on. They had over 200 come out and clean it, which kind of speaks to their community and just how they've been able to connect with people here in St. Louis. Um, and so they, uh, they, they weren't sure basically how safe it was uh, if the roof had compromised the floor when it fell because they have a big basement underneath the church mm -hmm. as well. Um, so that's kind of what they were figuring out in terms of 
just how safe the building was, could they rebuild, what were they going to do, that's all kind of TBD as well from what I last heard, but I can't imagine it's the last that we hear of them. I mean, they're just, they have too much of a of following and people care enough about them that I can't imagine they wouldn't go anywhere else. And a lot of passion too, to have yeah. the vision and, and imagination and then the yeah. ability to take that church and turn it into something so completely different yeah dave one of the guys in the group used to work with bob castley at city museum so he's got that pedigree and that background and just really able to uh, be a creative thinker Uh, his partner brian bedwell makes skate parks around the country which is just i think a super cool job (laughs) Um, yeah that's like a job that you think that you're gonna have as a kid and you're but then you don't think it's real but it turns out that's a real job yeah because it's not like you can go to college and be a skate park builder like you can't really major in that but they've been able to use their carpentry skills and their other construction skills and kind of combine them to make something super cool um, so yeah, and I think just the their their passion is a huge driver b- behind why they've been able to get such a huge following. I mean, they're so authentic and genuine, and people respond to authenticity, and that's how they've been able to really build that community. So uh, I'm excited to see what they're what they're going to next. Hopefully, they're able to save the sanctuary, but you know, time will tell. And you know, I think we're all used to being in St. Louis. Our older buildings just you know. A lot of them are kind of nearing the sort of precipice between can we save them or are they being lost? And it obviously doesn't help when a major fire comes in and kind of speeds the process up. So, but uh, I imagine there's more to come from those guys. Speaking of older buildings, I thought it was interesting that a couple of stories you've done recently are almost focused more on safety aspects than on redevelopment. So I'm thinking like you just ran a story about the Amazon warehouse in Illinois that collapsed during the tornado. And talk to us a little bit about what that story was, because there's a task force now. Yeah. Um, So I don't just cover new development or skate parks. Uh, (laughs) Well, that would be a very cool job. Right. Just that's my beat is skate parks. Yeah. When I worked in California, we had someone who covered the surfing score, which I just thought, as someone who grew up in St. Louis, I'm like, that's what a cool beat. That's such a California beat. I know, right? Just to cover the surfing competition. Um, (laughs) But so with my beat, essentially how I've kind of described it is I cover, my beat encompasses the built environment and how people interact with that. And so it can be the fun projects of redevelopment or historic uh, redevelopments of bringing a building back to life, but then it also the other side of the coin is also the safety aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a reason why engineers go to school, why they're licensed. Um, you know, there's there's a lot obviously that goes into making a building safe. And then unfortunately, when we have natural disasters like a tornado, that uh, plays into you know the the safety aspect as well. So. Uh, in 2021, December 2021, I actually remember this day. It was unseasonably warm. Yes. Um, it was a very warm day, December. And I think I remember thinking, like, this feels like tornado weather in December, mm-hmm. which was very weird. And then, unfortunately, later that night, we had a tornado touchdown in Defiance. And then it skipped over the river to Illinois and unfortunately struck this Amazon warehouse where six workers were killed. Um the we had we covered it the next day we had a bunch of people uh that went out to the scene um i remember that was the same day where i was sent out to defiance and talked to the family of the woman that was killed there as well so seven people in total were killed that were killed by that tornado um six were at the amazon facility and then i remember after i covered that i then went 
covered Skate Laborious. Oh, wow. first story. So it was like... Oh, weird. Um, it was like kind of like, you know, two sides of the coin of like, you know, destruction and unfortunately people losing their lives. And then here's these group of guys that have a passion that want to bring something back into life. So it was just... Uh, um, kind of interesting and yeah I had to kind of switch gears really quickly um, on my drive from Defiance to North City but um, so with this Amazon warehouse when six people died uh, afterwards there was a lot of questions uh, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker questioned the safety of warehouses and just whether or not there could be anything to improve it obviously tornadoes are considered like act of gods natural disasters we haven't been able to predict their paths we're getting really good obviously at when tornadoes could happen and that warning but there's obviously a lot more that goes into their path and then what can we as humans control and so he had asked uh, Illinois legislators to help come up with a group we had our local state rep Katie Stewart who represents Edwardsville kind of lead the charge with this where for or excuse me warehouse task force where they're where they're going to look into can you make warehouses safer and and if so how do you make them safer as well so we had the first meeting they had the first meeting yesterday at SIUE campus the campus is about four miles uh, north of where the tornado struck Um, and so they're going to be meeting several times over the next few years and then we'll come up with recommendations and then they'll provide that to the governor and then it'll be up to him of whether or not they can pass that or approve it um so I'll spare the kind of details of like what goes into construction and all of that. But from a reporter standpoint, it was you don't always cover a story over several years. A lot of times it's like you'll cover a council meeting over a couple months and then that's kind of the end of the story. So for something like this has been going on for almost two years. Um, and I covered initially after the besides what happened in Defiance, I covered what had happened in Amazon and that sort of thing. And so at this meeting, it was interesting to see or hear from um, the Edwardsville Fire Chief more details of that night, details that we hadn't heard um, in terms of like just how chaotic the scene was. They had down power lines that had fallen into the retention pond. They had mm-hmm. lines across uh, 270, which hampered additional emergency responders. So it's just when he was telling uh telling what had happened it was just you kind of got the full scope of just um just kind of how overwhelming a situation can be like that and just you know how how well trained our first responders are when it comes to handling a scene like that and they had to uh really figure out like okay what do we do first how do we do this Uh, because when they initially got to the scene they weren't sure how many people were in the warehouse they weren't sure where they were at the tornado had thrown cars into the retention pond that's next to the warehouse so were people in the cars and in the pond, but now you've got live wires in the pond. And so it was just kind of this whole, this whole um, aspect of, of how do you, what do you do first? And, you know, you have to clear all the cars to make sure there's no one in there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, obviously the scene of the, of the storm. And then they had another storm coming in as well. So then they all had to then leave uh, the site. So they had to stop recovery uh, process. But he mentioned that one first responder stayed with an injured worker where they weren't able to get out of the building right away, so they stayed during the storm, which I thought was just kind of a um, uh, a great example of of humanity, of you know, the first responder risked his life or her life to stay with this person so they wouldn't be alone as the next door storm came through. So wow. um, they also had uh, the family of one of the people that was killed there at the meeting as well. 
uh, the Cope family. Their son Clayton was 29 and he was killed uh, at the warehouse that night. And they were there to, um, you know, bear witness and also to, as a reminder of why this task force existed, you know, that we see the numbers of six people died or we see their photos, but then to meet the family or be around families that have been directly affected, it brings it back to reality of like why these measures matter and why their work matters. Um, so they, the, the mother, Carla Cope, uh, gave a few words um, just about how much their family had been affected, obviously, by losing their son and their brother and just why the work was important. And so they seemed uh, driven that, you know, they could channel their grief into something that could then help future families, uh, uh, which is, um, which I thought was kind of, um, you kind of almost like get chills of like when you're in this room and it's just, you're in this random conference room on SIU campus, but realize like this is the groundwork for something that could change in the future and maybe hopefully save lives in the future if they're able to come up with recommendations to make them safer. So more to come on that. Um, They're just getting started. They'll have a few years to do this. So it's not something that'll happen overnight, but it's still kind of interesting to see what can happen afterwards. Yeah. And again, that story posted Tuesday evening, and you can find that on stltoday.com. And Steph, to kind of pivot from two stories, which as Beth said, I think are great examples of maybe less expected work that a business reporter might be called to do. And as you said, quite heavy stories, uh, but really, really important to the community and hopefully providing some critical change that needs to happen um, in the community to save lives. The, the next story that you're working on, if you can give us just a little bit, it will publish tomorrow, uh, Thursday. Yeah. And I know it involves maybe a little bit more of the expected side of your yeah. beat. If you want to tell us about that. Yeah. So speaking of a, of a pivot of, um, you know, yesterday covering something very tragic to covering uh, a downtown Chesterfield project. Um, we're all familiar with the Chesterfield Mall. It's unfortunately has seen much better days. Uh, the Steinberg Group, which is a developer, they own most of the mall. They want to transform it into housing, commercial space, retail space, kind of make it a, a live, work, play, which now I feel like is becoming kind of a cliche on my <laughs> beat of this live, work, play thing. Um, so that their project was approved by the council late last year. It was uh, we're not the project itself, but the TIF that was connected to the project, which is a tax incentive, um, did have a lot of public debate. Um, now, again, um, the, the developer went back to the city for a rezoning request, and I won't get into like the, the uh, sort of nitty-gritty on that for, for readers, but it's brought up um, residents who um, are unhappy with sort of, I guess you could say, the size of the development, or at least the number of housing units, which could be a mix of apartment and condos. Um, before, it was just a little over 2,000. Now it's going to be closer to 3,000. They think it's too dense for the area. They're worried about traffic. Um, kind of all the, the typical kind of concerns you would have for a new development like this. Um, so I kind of get into the sort of um, opposition of, of the of the project, and that'll come up. Um, it'll be online tomorrow. Um, the group says that they are for the project. They just don't want as much housing units. They don't want it to be as dense. They're worried about traffic, and there's some other concerns as well. Um, but it's, yeah, kind of another another side to development of, of, of you know, 
what my beat entails. So yeah, yeah. You you described covering the built space, and yeah. I think it's funny that in this conversation we found two examples um, of of large spaces, malls, and also yeah. historic churches that maybe yeah. are no longer able to serve neighborhoods in the way that they once did. Um, due to maybe like population decline yeah. or other factors uh, and that how they're, you know, seeing new life on two very opposite sides of the metro area. Yeah, it's um, it's one of the reasons why I really enjoy this beat, uh, just because, I mean, you get into journalism for very different reasons. One of the reasons is because every day is different, and that's what I really love about this job. And then certainly this beat is always fresh and new. Um, if you're ever bored and like the real estate development beat, you're probably not doing it right, just based on those examples <laughs> you give of historic churches or like new developments in Chesterfield. And I mean, it really runs the gamut and it keeps it fresh. So I love the beats. Uh, I'm always trying to find new, interesting stories or angles. So if anyone has an idea, you can reach out to me. Um, but yeah, I, that's why I really enjoy the beat. You get to see. Um, just just the gamut of what, what it takes. And it's also kind of a microcosm of our community or our economy. So you can talk to the, the big developers and their ideas, and then you talk to the resident who lives next door to these developments and how it impacts them, um, you know, the good and the bad um, as well. And just, it really kind of brings to life just, you just see a building and you just kind of pass by it, but there's more to it. And so I just kind of love the little hidden stories that, this beat always has so yeah thank you so much for joining us yeah, this week you. and people can find the link to contact you as well as to sign up for the newsletter in the podcast description so thank you everyone for listening yeah thank you everyone and thank you Steph thank you